Well, friends, it is, uh, it is so good uh, to be with you. Let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I get the honor and privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And today we get to look at God's word together. And before we dive in, I, I do want to take just a quick second and step back and uh, just uh, communicate on behalf, of, on behalf of our family your thanks for the overwhelming notes and cards we received last week as we uh, remembered and um, commemorated uh, the anniversary of Tammy's passing. We were, we were blown away at the outpouring of love that we received from so many. So thank you, thank you. It was greatly, greatly appreciated. With that, let's, uh, let's dive into God's word together. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up with me to the book of John, in John chapter 15, a passage that's likely familiar to many of you, and we will uh, read that together. The words will also be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. And here's what Jesus tells us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. Lord, you're not just sitting in heaven, uh, looking down at a distance, but you are here right now in our midst. And that, Lord, by your grace, you are connecting us in something so beautiful and so amazing that we lack the words to describe it. And so, God, how we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would lead us and guide us, Lord, in the ways that only you can, that you would open our hearts and minds, and that in the midst of it all, you would receive all the glory. We love you, we thank you, we praise you in your name. Amen. I know living in Nashville... All of us have that concert that we tell the stories of. You know, it's the concert that you go back to as the best concert you've ever seen. And we're still fairly new to Nashville. We've only been to one concert at the Ryman. And unfortunately, the best concert I've ever been to was not here in Nashville. It it was actually uh, back in Portland, Oregon. And I remember this day that we went to see Harry Connick Jr. in concert. Amazing. And there uh, there was one moment in that concert that just took my breath away. Essentially what happened is uh, Harry began to tell the story of this piano that he had picked up off the docks in New Orleans. And he goes and he plays the first note on that piano and it was so far out of tune that it sent shivers down your spine. It sounded horrible. It sounded uh, like a two-year-old trying to play the guitar for the first time. I mean, it was awful. It was so terrible. But then Harry played another note. And what began to happen next was nothing short of awe-inspiring. Somehow, and as someone who has no musical bone in their body, uh, I have no idea how he did this, he began to play the notes on the piano and somehow he worked with the out-of-tuneness of that piano and made it into something beautiful. And what happened for the next 10 minutes was this beautiful song that he crafted in spite of the brokenness and the rundownness of this old piano that that somebody was ready to throw in the garbage. 
And you know, this week as I was looking at this passage that Jesus speaks in John chapter 15, I'm reminded that in so many ways, oftentimes the issue of beauty and fruitfulness has less to do with the thing itself and the one who is the master in which it finds its hands. That oftentimes, uh, what brings the greatest transformation in our life isn't our own ability, it isn't our own effort, it isn't our own accomplishment. But it's the beautiful reality that we find our lives in our hands under the care of one who is so faithful and good that by his grace and his mercy, he is working something good and beautiful in our life. So what does it look like to lean into that reality? And it's here that this passage that we're looking at today is so powerful for us. Now, if you're just joining us uh, this weekend, we've actually been in a series over the last four weeks. Uh, We've taken a pause in our study through the Sermon on the Mount uh, to look at our value of relationship matters and looking at the way in which Jesus practiced community uh, throughout his journey. And we've been suggesting to you that in the life of Jesus, you actually find four different spheres of community, what we've come to call the M the 12, the three, and the one. And in each of those, there is a unique purpose and expression inside of those spheres. For example, in the M, in the multitude, we find spaces like this where we gather together as the body of Christ, just as Jesus did around the festivals and celebrations in the nation of Israel. And it's here that we declare in a singular voice the reality and the presence of the kingdom of God. It's in the 12th sphere that we come together and we are drawn deeper into kingdom life, just as Jesus drew his own disciples deeper in that space. In the three, as Pastor Mark reminded us of last week, uh, we have the sphere of, of the three. From within that 12, Jesus drew out three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and took them even deeper in the life of the kingdom. And now as we come to the one sphere today, we're reminded that it's here in our own personal relationship with the Father that we are ultimately invited to walk in a life of deepening dependence on God. In fact, Jesus is going to remind us in this passage that this relationship with God really is the fountainhead from which all other areas of community and spiritual transformation flow. In fact, uh, here's what I want to suggest to you is the key idea of our message today, that in the one, we grow in our dependence on the Father as we abide, pursuing a deepening relationship with him. In the one space, we grow in our dependence on the Father as we abide, pursuing a deepening relationship with him. And one of the things that you simply can't escape as we have worked through each of these different spheres is this simple reality. That kingdom life is all about relationship. Here in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, Jesus opens by uh, giving us these words that I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What Jesus does in this passage is he essentially invites us to three main characters, three main parties that play a role in this journey of transformation. The first is that Jesus identifies himself 
as uh, the true vine. In fact, as I tried to get a picture of how this relates, I found this picture of the pruning that often will go on in a grapevine. In, in the bottom, you'll see that little vine that connects all the way down to the base of the ground. This image of a vine is one that would have been very common and familiar to the people of Israel. All throughout the pages of the Old Testament, Israel is often com- compared to a vine. But what Jesus is doing as he comes into this passage is he's saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am the true vine. I am the source from which all life flows. I am the one who carries the nutrients of spiritual transformation. I am the one who carries the the journey into spiritual life. And it is through connection with me that you experience the life and the freedom of the kingdom. In fact, he goes on to say, he's the vine, but um, we're the branches. In fact, you'll see one of those branches starting to shoot off in the image there. Uh, These branches find their life, they find their encouragement, they find their nourishment because of their connection to a vine. If you've ever uh, had a grapevine, what happens when you cut a branch off? It dies. It dies. A branch has no ability to survive in and of itself unless it exists in that life-giving connection to the vine. What gives the branch life is this deepening pursuit of relationship and abiding and connection with that which is the true source of life. It's why then I would simply make this suggestion that in the one, we cultivate intimacy and relationship with the Father, through intentionally surrendering to him. And the more that we grow deeply in that relationship with Christ, the more that we find ourselves infused with the life of the kingdom. Because, you know, Jesus goes on to introduce a third character in this story. He says that his father is the vine dresser. Um, Some translations you might find his father is the gardener. The role of of this vine dresser is to prune, to clean, to refine um, the branch so that it experiences the greatest level of fruitfulness. In fact, Jesus even uses this language that what the vine does, or what the vine dresser does is he prunes. And we read that and it's like, well, wait a minute, what, what exactly does that mean? And for a great many years, I've wrestled with that question, and I think I got a little bit of clarity years ago uh, when we lived in California. At our old house in California, we had some old-growth grapevines, much like this one in this picture, um, that grew along our fence. And one day, much like here, we had a crazy windstorm come through. I mean, this this had like 65, 70-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and it just knocked our fence flat. And two things were happening in that moment. I knew I had to repair the fence, but I was also doing a personal study of this passage, and I thought, well, wait a second. What if I try and learn a little bit by pruning, about pruning, is is I try and repair this fence and get this grapevine set up again. And so I went to the source of all things informational, helpful, and of course, unbiased, YouTube. And is I'm on YouTube and I'm, I'm doing research on how to, how to prune a vine, I, I learned that uh, pruning a vine basically means cutting this thing back all the way back to the core root, to the core vine. 
In fact, here I am, I'm sitting uh, with my trimmers and I'm trimming branch after branch after branch after branch. I'm watching them pile up on a, in a heap on the ground and I'm thinking, you know, from the perspective of the branch, he's probably thinking, dude, this guy's trying to kill me. I mean, he is taking off everything. And I'm pruning and I'm pruning and I'm pruning all with the hope that in the next season, the vine will bear more fruit. But like all good projects, uh, I get started and well, life happened and I got the fence back up, put the shovel in the ground and for two weeks, I, I left the project undone. Came back two weeks later and I found something really interesting. The vine had actually shot off in an extra area and had started to wrap its way around the shovel that I had left right next to the branch. And I'm watching all this happen, and there was this moment of, of just incredible tenderness with Jesus. And I just, as I stood there and I looked at that, I'm like, man, God, that is so me, isn't it? I am constantly looking for that which is going to give me life. And rather than just simply abiding in, in the vine, I reach out in 10,000 directions trying to find that one thing that I can latch on to. And the crazy thing is, literally, in just a few minutes, I'm going to pull that shovel up, and everything that that little vine had been looking to for stability and hope, it was going to get pulled up. And I cut the branch that held um, the shovel to the vine. And as I did, this thought ran through my mind that has stuck with me ever since. And it was, you know, from the perspective of the vine... It probably feels like what I'm doing is amputation. You know? I am, I am cutting off one of its arms. But in the intention, in the plan of a good, good father, the reality that it isn't amputation, it's liberation. It's not amputation. My, my purpose and my value isn't to kill the vine, but my purpose and plan is to equip the vine to bear much more fruit. And so often in the journey of transformation, there are many different things that will compete for the attention of our hearts. And sometimes God is so gracious and so kind that he takes those things out of our life. And it feels as if God is ripping up that which is the most valuable and important in our lives. But it is an act of grace. Because he doesn't want to keep us dependent on the things that will never really satisfy. He doesn't want to keep us in a place where we're depending on the things that will never anchor us in the fruitfulness of the vine. And it's why then Jesus brings us back again and again to a very simple reality. That we press into kingdom life. That we find kingdom life by pressing into Jesus. You know, it's interesting, as you go on in these verses, one of the things that you discover is the way in which Jesus invites us back into this intimate connection with him as the way of stepping into kingdom life. In fact, I love the way that he puts it in verse 3. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, in the church, we throw around this word abide a lot, but what in the world does it mean uh, to abide? Well, in the Greek, the word abide is the word menete, 
And it basically means to remain, uh, to press into. It, it, It has this sense of like a pursuing level of depth intimacy and connection, where the branch is uh, pressing in to the life-giving life and transformation that the vine offers. Uh, Perhaps one of the most helpful definitions that I found is from Sinclair Ferguson when he gives us this definition, that abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. Abiding in Christ means allowing, and I'll add here, his presence and word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. It's literally living in such a way that we are pressing in to the life-giving connection and life that God offers us as we abide in the vine. I mean, do you, do you realize what that means uh, for how we understand the spiritual journey? It changes everything. Because I think for a great many of us, when we think about this idea of abiding, when we think about what it means to follow Jesus and apprentice Jesus in different spheres of life, we picture it a lot like a hydroelectric plant. You know, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we have these giant rivers, and great care is given to build dams where all of the energy and the life of that flowing river turns a turbine that powers an electrical plant that feeds the cities. And I think for a great many people, that's, that's what they think following Jesus is all about. That following Jesus is about mustering up enough energy, enough power in and of myself, directing my will, telling myself the things that I will and won't do. And we pursue spiritual transformation as a self-improvement project more than it is a relationship. But if spiritual transformation is more about abiding, can I suggest to you that it's less like a hydroelectric plant and a lot more like a solar power plant. You ever see those places where they have like whole yards of solar panels? What can a solar panel do to increase its efficiency? Nothing. The only thing it can do is to remove the distractions and to turn itself more directly into the rays and the energy of the sun. The life doesn't come from anything that the solar panel does. All the solar panel does is receive the life, the energy, the power that the sun is radiating down upon it. Friends, I don't know if there's any better image of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. I I love the words of Dallas Willard. When he explains the tension of this dynamic and he says that grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. That the gospel is all about recognizing that we worship a God who is showering upon us his grace, his mercy, his life, his transformation. He's inviting us to press deeply into life and community and fellowship with him. And the journey of transformation is pulling off the old branches and the distractions that keep us from receiving his grace, mercy, and love in our life. And some of the greatest moments of grace are those moments in which we simply turn our lives and our hearts closer in the direction of who it is that he has said he is. 
And we discover that it's there in that place of intimate dependence and connection with him that we begin to walk in the freedom and the life of this journey he invites us into. That's why I love these words that we find in verses four and five. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the verse prior, Jesus tells us, you know, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He's saying to the disciples, you've experienced this transformation, not because of what you've done, not because you've come up with some miracle grow is the branch, but I have spoken a word of grace to you and you've been cleansed. And in light of that, abide in me. Uh, Maintain this life-giving connection. Uh, uh, Pursue me and I in you. Because here's what's at stake. Literally everything. It's the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes on to say in these closing words, words that are familiar to us, words that I know we know. But do we know them? That apart from me, you can do what? A little bit? Nothing. Nada. Zip. You know, we can try and pursue God with all of the best intentions, but if we're not doing it connected in a life-giving relationship with him, it will produce no fruit. We can try and practice a life of dead religion on the outside where we convince God in our own hearts that we're good enough for him based on our own efforts and abilities. But if it's not done in deep, abiding relationship with him, do you know what the fruit will be? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, you haven't, if you like me, have had that experience in your journey. It's like, God, I'm never going to do this thing again. And then we're surprised when we find ourselves back at the well-worn paths of the sin and brokenness that have defined our condition at so many places in the journey. It's because we're trying to do it ourselves rather than simply living like a solar panel, turning our hearts, our affections, our desires into the presence of Jesus. Again, I find myself in this sober reality that the depth of my fruitfulness in my life will be directly proportionate to the depth of my relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. That the depth of the fruitfulness of my life will be directly proportionate to the depth of my relationship with Jesus. You know, I think sometimes we can think about things like prayer or, or simply being with, with Jesus as, as an accessor. You know, maybe a, a, a sidebar from the real work of the busyness of what we need to do in this broken world. But Jesus is telling us those things aren't a part of the work. They are the work. That everything that we do as a follower of Jesus is to flow from the depth of this intimate, abiding relationship with him. So what does that look like? 
And friends, how I wish I had about another three hours to talk through all the different dimensions of what abiding in Christ looks like. I don't. But what I I want to do today is uh, introduce to you something that has come out of my own journey, a tool that has been helpful in in helping me clear out some of those distractions um, and connect in a a regular rhythm of meeting with God. You'll notice on your chairs uh, a piece of paper. And uh, what you're going to see in that is a diagram of what you would find if you were to look at my daily devotional journal. This is the simple process that I use and that I've found helpful uh, to connect with Jesus. Having said that, let me say two caveats on the first. Uh, there is no right or wrong way to connect with Jesus. You'll find 50,000 different ways of doing this. I would simply say this is the one that has worked for me. And I feel free to use whatever is helpful and disregard whatever isn't um, as, as we walk through this together. Uh, the second thing that I would say is don't let this be a legalistic thing. You know, don't let this become yet another thing that is this obligation of I'm going to do this in order to show God how righteous I am. The purpose and the intention of this is making the intentional space in our journey to create the margin to meet with Jesus and to allow that to shape and direct our day. And so in light of that, then let me, let me introduce you to this little process that I call real, R-E-A-L. If you haven't figured it out by now, I really love acrostics. I think it's the old pastor in me. Um, so anyways, uh, we'll start with the R. Read prayerfully. And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll come to a section of scripture, and, and to be honest with you, I, I'm not the kind of person that says I'm going to sit down and read a whole chapter at a time. There, there's a place and a time for that. I just, I'm too ADD enough that I get lost in all of the details. So typically what I'll do is I'll just take a few verses. And this sounds really crazy, but it, it, it like just struck me. How often do I go before God's word without asking God to reveal himself to me in it? You know, it's almost like, oh, this is a textbook. I've, I've, I've done this enough. I know what it says. Versus coming in a posture of humility and simply saying, God, I need to hear from you. I need you to reveal your grace and mercy to me. And so a lot of times what I'll do is just simply pray, Jesus, here I am before your word. I don't want to walk away from this moment without encountering you. So would you guide me and teach me as I read? And I'll read through a passage a few times, and I'm looking for a word or a phrase that stands out to me as a part of this text. For example, in this verse, it might be, for apart from me, you can do nothing, and I'll write that at the top of the page. And then uh, that'll take me into this next section, which is to explore the text. Um, How many of you are familiar with inductive Bible study? Yeah, these, this is the process where we ask the question, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. You know, we're looking at this text. Okay, when Jesus says, uh, what does it mean to do nothing, or, or that apart from him we can do nothing? What, what does that look like? How do we do that? What would that have meant in the Old Testament? I mean, it's in this space that I'm wrestling with all of those questions. But along the way, here's one of the things that I found, is that oftentimes I would get lost in the details You know, I would look at all the different details of the passage, but uh, there wasn't any one thought um, that I would walk away with. And so I just started this little rhythm of putting a box on the right-hand side with a key insight. Is there one idea that God is drawing me into or inviting me to see from this text? That key insight might be something like, that apart from him, I really can do nothing. Or, um, you know... uh, that my ability to do anything flows uh, from a relationship with Jesus, whatever that may be, to try and boil down in a sentence uh, 
this is what's coming out for me, for me out of the fruit of exploring the text. Now, uh, the next step, the A, the action step, what really came for me out of something that I had noticed is I had looked at all kinds of different devotional readings. You know, one of the things that I had noticed is a lot of times you would come to the end of your time with Jesus, and that was it. There was no invitation to live it out beyond uh, what you had seen. And so one of the things that I try and do is in light of that key insight, what is one tangible action step that I can make to press into that reality. Now, for those of you in the business world, how many of you are familiar with the term SMART goals? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely. When I, when I think about these action steps, I tend to think about it in terms of SMART goals. It's one thing to say, well, I need to forgive somebody today. It's another thing for me to say, you know, I need to forgive that family member who said something unkind to me and I need to pursue reconciliation with them, or, or, or something like that. The, the more that we can be tangible and pract- practical in light of that reality, in light of, you know, for a part for me, you can do nothing. That might look something like, um, you know, this week, I'm going to make the commitment to re-examine my motivation behind why I'm doing a quiet time at all. You know, with some tangible action step that invites me to press deeper into that reality. And then you'll notice on your sheet, just a little box there on the left. Uh, I put that there intentionally because here's the other thing I found after a while. Is that I can often have these action steps, and guess how often I do them? (laughs) And that becomes a little accountability for me to simply go back when I start the next day and to reread that action step and to ask the question, did I do it? Um, and what's happened for me is that little checkbox has been an annoying little measure of accountability that has invited me to see. Um, a lot of times Jesus reveals himself in all kinds of beautiful and powerful ways and I don't follow through. And it becomes just a simple way for me to um, be intentional about my obedience and following through in my relationship with Jesus. The last step there that you see is what I simply say live it out, is to write a prayer of response. In light of this action step, it's here that I try and be honest with Jesus. God, I know you're calling me to forgive, but flabbernabbit, I don't want to do it. So would you, by your grace and mercy, give me the ability to do that? Jesus, I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. But you know what? The simple reality is, my entire life, I thought that's what you expected of me. By your grace and mercy, would you retrain my heart to come in further and deeper alignment? with your own. And friends, through the years, I have just watched as this little process has become a tool that has helped me to see with greater and deeper clarity the presence, the the mercy, and the love of God um, in ways uh, that I so often missed. And so I I, I simply offer it to you as a resource and a tool if it's helpful. Use it if it's helpful. Um, Feel free not to if it's not. But if you've never begun that journey of meeting with God on a regular basis, this can be a powerful tool to simply begin that journey. And uh, if you want, do that and touch bases with me. I would love to geek out and share and hear the stories of what God's teaching you as you are uh, walking this journey and path together. So friends, again, I, I, I just come back to these words of Jesus that he closes with in verse 5 that apart from me, you can do nothing.
Now, if you're like me, one of the deepest questions of my heart is, Lord, how do I know that my life is going to matter? How do I know that at the end of my days, because of your love in me, the world will be a little bit different? As I've wrestled with that question through the years, what I have constantly heard the Lord draw me back to is that if you want to change the world, if you want to have an impact on the world, will you let me change you? If you want to bear fruit, it will begin in the journey of your own spiritual transformation as you yield to your love, to my love, grace, and mercy in your journey. And as I sat with that reality again this week, as I looked at this passage, the question that I found myself asking of my own heart and for each of us is where is Jesus inviting each of us to abide in him with word-saturated prayer. You know, maybe you're here and you're listening to these words and you would recognize, you know, much like that little offshoot around the shovel, there is some area of my life that is drawing my attention away from the life-giving source of the vine. And it's time to surrender that thing to Jesus so that I can pursue that deepening relationship with him and respond to the love, grace, and mercy that he has in my life. Or maybe you're over here and you would recognize, no, 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 I've been working my head off for Jesus and it's not working. Why? And today Jesus is saying, it was never about you in the first place. Pursue me. Pursue a relationship with me and let me move you from observation of religion to a relationship that will change every corner of who you are. Friends, by the grace of God, may he deliver us from the tragedy of wasting our life on all the wrong things. May he deliver us from ever thinking that the way in which we will reveal his love and mercy is by our own strenuous effort. May he move us from trying to live like a hydroelectric plant to the humility, the dependence, and the resource of a solar panel. Friends, God is more good than we could ever imagine. He is more generous than we could ever comprehend. There is more life in his little pinky than all of the brokenness that we believe defines our lives. And in this passage, he invites us, press into me, lean into me, let the cells of my grace infuse every fiber of who you are and walk with me. And perhaps leaning into that journey begins by simply remembering what's already true. And perhaps there's no better way to do that than what we're about to do is we take communion together. You know, if you're here visiting with us at Fellowship National, we, we encourage you, this table is open to all those who have followed Jesus and made uh, that decision by responding to his grace to follow him. And we don't believe uh, that what we do is we remember together is anything mystical or magical. But it is a physical way of reminding ourselves of what is true. That in a little piece of bread, we remember of just how far God has gone to graft us into the life of the vine. 
And in a cup of juice, we are reminded that he will be faithful to bring the growth. He will be faithful to bring the fruitfulness. And that our response is merely to throw our arms open and simply say, here I am. By your grace, use me. And as you reveal what it means to follow you, I will. That's what we remember as we gather around this table together. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as we prepare to take together, I would wonder, where is God inviting you to to remember the power of this relationship? Where is God inviting you to remember what it is that he has taught us from the beginning? That the word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. And what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to come forward in groups of about 10 to 15. We're going to surround the table together and take, and then we're going to dismiss you, and another group of 10 to 15 will come forward until we've taken together. And so, in light of that, let me invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to remember communion together. So, Jesus... Unspeakable goodness. Gracious Father and empowering Spirit. Lord, if I'm honest, sometimes it's hard to abide because I struggle to believe that you really want to invite me into that life. I get so fixated on my brokenness that it obscures the light of my belovedness. God, as we gather around this table today, how I pray that you, in the way that only you can, in the mysterious way that we will never comprehend, that somehow you would attach our hearts more deeply to your own. God, where there is the need for freedom, where there is the need for for maybe some pruning, where there is the need for the reminder that you got this, Lord, you would speak those truths over the depths of our heart today. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing, and we confess and proclaim that over our hearts today. So even here, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you fill us to the glory of your name? We love you, Jesus, and we praise you in your name. Amen? Amen. If you feel led, I invite you to come in groups of 10 to 15.